Well, this week we're going to wrap up this short two-week series on hospitality. And we're going to be talking about hospitality because, catch it, to love Jesus is to love people. Hopefully you'll see that this morning. But I first got a great peek into that by a woman named Amalia. So the very first mission trip we took from our church took 10 of us down to the southern part of Mexico, to Oaxaca. We were up in the mountains of Oaxaca, Mexico. We went up to, I think it was called Santa Maria de la Montaña. And we were up there, and Amalia and her husband, Lencho, opened their house up to us, so we had a place to stay that week. Now you can see, this is one of their uh, two structures. That was the kitchen. Uh, and it was a tiny home, and they didn't have much. They, they really didn't have much. Uh, the laundry would be done in a pot. Um, Sometimes the cooking was over a fire. There was an outhouse, not, uh, not indoor plumbing in that way. Uh, there was a shower, <laughs> uh, but it was like ice-cold mountain water, uh, except that they would use this pot right here, uh, and they would heat that over a fire and bring that into the little shower area, and you would have a dipper, and you'd dip it in that to have some warm water. It was kind of interesting because there was, I remember there was this big window on the shower out and, and you're like, it's beautiful scenery out in the mountains there. And you're just hoping nobody has a telescope. <laughs> it's just weird. Uh, but anyway, it was a great, great trip. Uh, this is Amalia right here. A uh, wonderful woman at her feet is her youngest son who wore that same Spider-Man outfit the entire week. He was never out of it from what we could tell. Uh, her, her cooking was just amazing. Our first night there, uh, she made us horchata de arroz, which is like a, a rice milk, and maybe you've had it before, but I'll tell you what, you have not had it homemade in the mountains of Mexico. It was just amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, in order to accommodate us, Amalia and her family, they crammed all their, like their clothes and all their stuff and themselves back into one bedroom with a walk-in closet type setup to make room for 10 gringos to stretch out on their floor uh, to be there that week. Uh, she was excited about Jesus. She was excited about the gospel. She was excited about her people. And so to have 10 folks come to spread the gospel among her people, she'd do whatever it took to be hospitable to us. She sacrificed with joy for us. We were the outsiders that she loved, the outsiders. So um, her love, man, she, she was able to d express her love despite a language barrier. A lot of times that was uh, done through her smile. It was so, so clear. She clearly loved Jesus. She clearly loved people. And her, her hospitality was just infectious. I want to do hospitality like Amalia because to love Jesus is to love people. She's a great example of it. Now, last week we talked about hospitality, that it's more than just donuts, that we as a church can't just offer donuts and check the box and think we're done. And so we talked about hospitality comes from the Greek, the word in the Bible is philoxenos, which is uh, loving the outsider, right? And we learned that it was an echo of the gospel, for after all, we were outsiders to God, to Jesus, and he came and he loved us sacrificially. He demonstrated that. So we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan, remember, where the, uh, the thieves set upon this Jew and said, what's yours is mine. And then the religious leaders came along. They'll get it right, won't they? No. They said, what's mine is mine, and they passed by. But remember, the Good Samaritan, he was the one that said, what's mine is yours. What's mine 
is yours. And so we dreamed about what would it be like if we were a church that practiced hospitality more than just donuts. By the way, I think it's kind of funny. I challenge you to park far away so the very next week God sent rain. <laughs> Are you serious? You mean it? Like it's God's test. Good, good for you, God. That's kind of funny. But anyway, we said, what would it be like if we were a hospitable church? Now, one of the problems with that is we could come out of last week thinking, okay, I get it. I need to be hospitable for like one to two hours a week on Sunday morning. And no, it's a little bit more than just that. See, what we experience here on Sunday mornings, we're just harvesting what we plant all week. If you are living a life of worship, then when you come in here on Sunday morning, you're just busting loose with worship, right? If you're not living a life of worship throughout the week, you come in here and you do cardboard Christianity. And there's your worship, right? Now, uh, if you're living a life that loves the Word of God, you're gleaning and soaking in the Word of God, when you come in here during these sermon times, like you're eating it up. And if not, not. So it is with hospitality. If you are one who is living a hospitable life, then when you come in here on Sundays, you quite naturally express hospitality to those around you. And so while last week we talked about having a hospitable church, this week what we're going to talk about is having a hospitable life. And that's what we need. Because after all, to love Jesus is to love people. I want to show you that in the scriptures. The passage we'll be in today is kind of appropriate. Listen, you know today is Palm Sunday, right? It launches Holy Week. This is the day we celebrate that Jesus entered Jerusalem. And then Holy Week, and at the end of which, on Friday, he was crucified. On Sunday, he rose. On Tuesday of that week, what Jesus did, he often taught in the temple courts. This time, he went outside of Jerusalem, and he taught on the side of the Mount of Olives, or Mount Olivet. And it's called the Olivet Discourse. It was on that Holy Week, and he ended that discourse with this passage. It will be in Matthew 25. And it starts in verse 31. Here's Jesus teaching. He says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Now let's pause there for a second. One of the things we notice uh, in this is that you people sat on the good side of the room. You people, not so much. Okay, you'll see that. I see my sons over there. That's appropriate. Okay, so <laughs> shouldn't have done that. All right, um, so, but, but so what Jesus is saying, look, look for, to separate it out, he's a Jew, he's coming just for the Jews, Right? Well, that's easy separating Jews over there, Gentiles over there. That's not what he does. He gathers all the nations and separates from among them the sheep and the goats, which means he has people in every nation and tribe and tongue. This is going to be transcultural, transnational, transracial, his people. So he starts to separate them out. And and what he does in order to separate them, here's how he says it. Jesus continues. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. 
See hospitality there? I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now about that point, I imagine some of the disciples listening to this are like, what you talking about, Jesus? You have to be old enough to get that reference. But, um, but, but at least you get this. Like They have been with Jesus and they're like, I can imagine Peter leaning over to whoever was sitting next to him going, when was Jesus naked? I don't remember that day, right? Like when did this... Peter's not alone in his dismay of like, when did this take place, right? So here, Jesus continues. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Peter's like, oh, okay, I get it now, right? It's hospitality because to love Jesus is to love people. That's what's going on there. Of course, there's a flip side to the story. Jesus isn't done. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, You did not do it to me. You see, it seems like hospitality is kind of important to Jesus. Maybe a little bit, right? Because to love Jesus is to love people. Now, if we're honest, we usually don't show hospitality. Like, our default mode is set to goat. Like, not greatest of all time. No, 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 like you people over there, right? Like, like that, we're, we're not set, our default mode is set to the ones on the left. In this fallen world, unless we're filled by the Holy Spirit, unless we're changed by the Holy Spirit, unless the Holy Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ, we are set to love me, love ourselves. That's, that's it. And so life is not about loving Jesus and love, about loving people. It's about idolatry of self, self-love. We gravitate in that direction. In fact, John Piper teased it out in this way. It's a longer quote, but you'll get it. It's pretty good. He says, the physical force of gravity pulls everything to the center of the earth. In order to break free from earth-centered life, thousands and thousands of pounds of energy have to push the space shuttle away from the center. There is also a psychological force of gravity that constantly pulls our thoughts and affections and physical actions inward toward the center of our own selves and our own homes. Therefore, the most natural thing in the world is to neglect hospitality. It is the path of least resistance. All we have to do is yield to the natural gravity of our self-centered life. And the result will be a life so full of self that there is no room for hospitality. We will forget about it and we will neglect it. So the Bible bluntly says, stop that. 
Build a launching pad. Fill up your boosters and blast out of your self-oriented routine. Stop neglecting hospitality. Practice hospitality. So what I'm trying to do today, I want to nail this idea that we do hospitality because to love Jesus is to love people. Very clear from Matthew 25. Also very much linked to what we talked about last week. Remember last week we looked at the Good Samaritan. Now, that flowed out of a time where somebody was trying to trap Jesus a little bit and said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? There's like over 600 commands back there. Like, it's, it's a ridiculous problem. Jesus nails it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he said, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets, which means everything God's expecting of you, looking, just love God, love people, that's it. So that's when the guy says, well, yeah, sure, but who is my neighbor? Remember, he's trying to draw that circle small, and so Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. That's how we got the story last week. But what I want you to catch is there is a link between the first and the second commandment, okay? Love God, love people. Think of this. When you were in high school, you probably had that crush. Puppy, you you were so smitten with some girl or some guy, right? You'd get the yearbook, and the picture of that person was dear to you, right? Now, it's only colored pixels on a page. It's two-dimensional. It's flimsy. It's ridiculous. But you love that picture. Why? Because it was the image of the person you loved. Because you love someone, you love their image. You know the people you hate, right? You'd get their picture, you'd scratch out their eyes. Remember that? Horns and mustache, little pimples on their face. You hate them, you hate their image. And could you imagine if I took a picture of my dear wife, Shannon, and I started to scratch out the eyes? Horns, mustache, pimples. Say, dude, do you really love your wife? Well, sure I do. Listen, if you love your wife, you love her image. Right? That makes sense. Why is this important? Who is made in the image of God? people. People. If you love God, you love his image. See how the first commandment flows to the second. Love God, love people. Boom, there it is. As well, when you love someone, you love what they love. So if you love God, you love what God loves. Let me show you that. I'm a grown man, and I love stuffed animals. Some of you are thinking, dude, you got some explaining to do. Why do you, as a grown man, love these two stuffed animals? Well, this is Moose Moose. Caleb, you recognize him, don't you, brother? This is Bees. This is Madison's. Caleb took this little dude everywhere when he was a little guy. Madison took this Bees everywhere. So when Madison broke her leg and had a pink cast, Bees had a matching pink cast, right? Yeah, isn't sweet? Listen, I... Love these. I love these. Why? Because I love my kids, and my kids love these. And so because I love my kids, I love what they love. You see how it works? If I say I love Jesus, i got to love what Jesus loves. Jesus loves people. There's a connection between the first commandment and the second. To love God is to love people. Uh, Jesus is very clear about it. Look, uh, well, in his word, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says this. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Remember, hospitality is philoxenos. It's love of the outsider. It's at the very heart of the gospel. It's who Jesus is. It's what he did for us. And so if I say that I love Jesus, if I love his gospel, then in that case, I want to be like him. I want to follow in his footsteps and do like he did. And I want to thank him. How can I thank him? I can't see him. How am I going to thank the one I can't see? Jesus says, Matthew 25. You love people, and that's loving me. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, of loving them. That's how I thank Jesus. Hospitality, because to love Jesus is to love people. Now, it's not, uh, of course, it's not just about coming in here and practicing that on Sunday mornings. If you read Matthew 25, did you notice it was like everywhere, all the time, all throughout life? It was all over the place. Everywhere, all the time. Like, you flip that switch on, that radar is on, and we're always looking out for people whom we can love, the outsider. Love them. Because to love Jesus is to love people. Now, what I want to do is take some time and apply that in various areas. I'm just going to go, like, rapid fire on some various areas. There's no order to it. I'll admit that up front. But, but it's got to flow out of here into our lives. So, so how about this? What about your work life? Like, as Christians are, are at work, I want us to be the most hospitable people there. There's fellow employees. There's clients, there's vendors, there's contractors, there's all kinds of people that flow through your work life. Could we be intentional about being hospitable at work? One of the ways I live that out is I have a bowl of Skittles in my office. I don't like Skittles. They're not there for me. If they were peanut M&Ms, Pastor Ricky would be 300 pounds. Right? So, so there's a bowl of Skittles. Well, there used to be a bowl of Skittles. Now there's a bowl of individually packaged Skittles. Thank you, COVID. So there it is. So, so that's in my office. Now, why is that there? Here's why. Because I want our kids to love church. Uh, listen, a lot of you grew up and going to church was scratchy, right? Sit down, be quiet, don't wiggle, shut up, you're embarrassing me. You wear uncomfortable clothes, and that's what church was like. And that forms our kids' earliest emotional associations with God is that. That's why we have slides. That's why we have donuts. So on Sunday mornings, they come in here. They feel at home. They feel loved. Now, throughout the week, I don't let them in my office on Sunday morning. There's too many kids here. That's ridiculous, right? Go get a donut. But throughout the week, like if, if mom's coming by church to pick up something from women's Bible study or something like that and has the kids in tow, I'm not in a meeting and I hear kids out there, I run out. You know how much I love kids. You see that, right? I run out there. Can I give them Skittles? They come in my office and get Skittles. Why? Because I want them to grow up thinking, you know what church is like? Pastor Rick gave me Skittles. You see, like I want there to be an emotional association with God that forms in that space. Listen, I am thinking intentionally, how can I be hospitable in my workplace? The question is, you got to think, how can you be hospitable in your workplace? And be very intentional about it. Of course, it can also happen, happen at a coffee shop. I write most of my sermons sitting at a coffee shop. Right now, there's limited seatings. Thank you, COVID. So, you know, they knocked out tables and all that, so there's not as much space. Might be only one table open, a little two-top over here. I'm at a four-top spread out working. Party of four comes in. They got nowhere to sit. I've got my radar on. 
I'm looking, and I, hey, you guys, you take this one. I'll move over here. It's a small thing. It's a simple thing. But what it says is I, as a disciple of Jesus, I'm saying to love Jesus is to love people. How can I turn my radar on and do it even in a coffee shop that isn't my space? You can do that. What about being a part of an athletic team community? There's a woman named Jen Schmidt who wrote a book called Open the Door. And she recounted in there one mom's story about how she decided to practice hospitality among that athletic team community. Listen to this. said, for the next few months, the sidelines became my new home, and the families involved became my people. I packed up my love of hospitality and brought it with me to the football field. That year was revolutionary. I approached practice time with an elevated vision I'd sit on the bleachers on the sidelines or behind the concession stands wondering, who can I love on today? Who needs encouragement? Nothing fancy. No special skills needed. No agenda. I just started paying attention. If I had a phone at the time, it would have meant turning it off and looking around. Ouch. I brought blankets, snacks, and toys for our babies and asked other moms to join me. The blanket became our table and the two-hour practice a bridge for new community. See that? Everywhere all the time. That's hospitality because to love Jesus is to love people. All right, well, let's make it a little more uncomfortable then. What about welcoming people into your community group? Shackles go up. This one gets a little touchy, a little tricky. Because let me acknowledge, you need, you know, it could be your community group, you know, small group Bible study. It could be your women's Bible study table, your men's Bible study. We get our people and we want to lock it down. Okay, now listen, you need an arena in your life where it's your closest friends by affiliation and common interests and you guys get each other and it's just you guys. I get that. That's okay. But there is a reason why when we do community groups, we form circles, but it's a circle with a gap. It's an open circle so that those who are peering in from the outside are welcomed in because that's the outlooking heart of Jesus that we're practicing. We leave an empty chair because we're saying there's, there's room for more here. There's room for more here. It is not about getting your little click and protecting it. I've heard of people using the arena of our church's ministry where there's these open circles. They come in, they find the circle they want, then they want to close it, lock it down, and we might add to it so they're going to say, well, we're going to leave under the umbrella of the church. We're going to take it off site and do our own thing. And I'd say two questions. One, how'd you get the circle? You got the circle because we left it open so you could come in. And two, are you acting more like the priest and the Levite who said, what's mine is mine? Or are you being more like the good Samaritan who said, what's mine is yours? Have your friends. That's okay. There's a reason why we practice circles with a gap. Now, if that was not uncomfortable enough, let's talk about immigrants. When we talk about immigrants, some of you are already thinking, but what if they got here illegally? That's a great problem for the government to solve. Because government is charged by God to look into and deal with those things. Guess what? I'm not the government. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And my calling does not change based on how that person got here. They are a sojourner among us. Look at Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. It says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. 
You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This this isn't telling governments what they should do. This is telling people who follow after God how we should treat other people. Right? And it flows right from the essence. He ends, I am the Lord your God. This flows right from the essence of the heart of God. What he did for us in the gospel is he took us who were foreigners to his family and he welcomed us in and made us sons and daughters. That's ridiculous. But he does that. And now we love him and want to be like him. And so what we do is we welcome outsiders. Listen, when I encounter in our country somebody who's from a different country or a different culture, I like them a whole lot more than you people. (laughs) They're interesting, the the diversity of who God has made. Sometimes I get Filipino sisters who make me lumpia. Gosh, that was good. Like, like, it's awesome, And, and we celebrate that, and we love that. In fact, do you see in there the precursor to the second great commandment? Do you see it in there? It says, you shall love him as yourself. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The precursor is about loving immigrants. That's interesting. It's loving the outsider, yeah. I I threw a lot of various areas. Here's one catch-all category. How about just being nice? Everywhere, all the time, throughout your day. What if you were to smile? Just smile and bless outsiders and strangers with a smile. What if you include people and invite people who will be hurt if they're not invited? That's hospitality. What if you stop dominating conversations? You know when somebody starts talking and you turn the conversation back to talking about you and you become a me monster. Some of you will recognize that illusion. But it's a me monster. And and no, don't do that. Uh, Just practice listening. People are so desperate to be heard. And can you start just listening to people? That's a ministry right there. Jen Schmidt summed it up in this way. She said, The power of your faithful presence showing up over and over right where you're planted can change a generation as you welcome others and point them to the ultimate inviter. It's hospitality. To love Jesus is to love people. Now, listen, I just rifled through a bunch of areas. Did you notice what I skipped? Didn't didn't I skip a big one? It's our homes. What what about our homes? I want to spend a little bit of time about that. Because if we are going to live a hospitable life, it will impact our homes. It has to. But we have a problem as a culture. We used to hang out on the front porch. When you hang out on the front porch, you naturally interact with people outside your home. People walking by, neighbors, whatever. We've moved from the front porch to the back patio. See that? We've moved from picket fences to privacy fences. See what's going on culturally? And we're a part of that, unfortunately, as believers. What we're doing is we're viewing our homes as a resort. Now, if you go down to Cancun, you hit some resort, what you're doing, you don't take people outside your family. You you ain't taking neighbors. Ah, This is for me and mine, right? And what I want the resort to do is I want it to be really, really, really nice for me. And I expect a resort to be all about pleasure. 
for me. And unfortunately, we're starting to treat our homes like resorts. It's just for me and mine. I want it really nice for me, and it's all about pleasure for me. My home is a resort. But I don't think it's supposed to be like that. What if instead of a resort, we started to treat our homes as a refuge and a resource? It's a refuge because I meet with Jesus there. Jesus is in my home, and I come in from the storms of life, and he refreshes me and recharges me in my home to go back out to represent him and expand his kingdom. It's a refuge. But secondly, it's a resource. Notice, it's a resource that does not belong to me. It belongs to God. I am simply a steward of that home that belongs to God, that he wants to use and leverage for his kingdom. And I'm asking the question, how can I leverage it for his kingdom? It's a resource. I use it to bless fellow believers. You you look in Acts at the birth of the first church, and what it talks about in there is that the original Christians, they met in the temple courts like this, and then it says, and house to house, where they were breaking bread together and eating together with glad and generous hearts and taking care of each other. There's joy and there's laughter and there's feasting and fellowship. It was beautiful. That's our faith. Right there, using our homes as a resource for that. But then also, if we're going to follow biblical hospitality, it has to be loving the outsider. We use our homes as a resource to love people outside. Think of the Good Samaritan. If his home was on that road, do you think he would have gone to an inn? No. He'd have taken the guy to his home and cared for him there. These homes belong to Jesus, not to us. And we've got to use them to reach out to people with the gospel. Now, it's only a resource, you understand, if I invite others in. Right? Like, if if it's a resort, I don't invite people in. If it's a refuge, I, I need Jesus there, but I don't need other people. It's only a resource if I invite other people in. When they come in, I understand they're an outsider to the home. And now my job kicks in to turn on my radar. How can I make them feel most at home, most comfortable, most at peace, most loved, most encouraged? That's our kingdom ministry right there. Because to love Jesus is to love people. It's hospitality. Now, I'll warn you. The only way this works is with the presence of Jesus Christ. He's got to be right there. Remember, our love for people flows from our love for Jesus. And so if you're going to do a refuge and a resource, you need Jesus Christ right in the middle of your home. Your home has to be dripping with the presence of Jesus so that when you go in, it's a refuge recharging you. And when others come in, it blesses them, it heals them, it it loves them. Jesus Christ, is he the ever-present guest right in the middle of your home? And what if anytime somebody comes into your home, they feel the presence of Jesus? Ah, that would be so healing. That would be so healing. I use the word healing intentionally. Have you noticed that in English that you cannot have hospitality without hospital? Do you notice that? They're from the same root. It all has to do with healing. It's not a coincidence. See, for hospitality in your home to take place, you need the great healer right there. Healing you, that's your refuge. Healing others, that's your resource. Jesus has to be right in the center of it. But I'll tell you what, 
If I book a family vacation at Cancun, I'm not asking the question, is Jesus there? Right? I don't need Jesus for a resort. I don't. I need Jesus for a refuge and a resource. He's got to be right there. So it's about the presence of Christ, which really starts to deal with some of our excuses. Look at this list of the excuses that we bring up. What if they don't like me? They probably won't. What? My house is a wreck. My house is a mess. I don't like to cook. We have kids. My home is too small. And I would just add to, add to the list my favorite excuse, but I'm a jerk. Right? I, we've got all these excuses, but here's the thing. It's not about you. It's not about the size of your house or what your house looks like or how clean it is. The question is, is the great healer there? And if his presence is right in the middle of it, then it will be a place of peace and healing, and people will feel that. That's hospitality. J.D. Greer had a great quote that says, this is part of our kingdom mission. This, this is part of what we're called to. Look, he says, the great commission may carry you to the ends of the world, but it starts in your apartment complex, your dorm room, or your suburban neighborhood. God has given you a perfect environment for demonstrating the gospel and advancing his mission. If only you'd open your eyes to it. It's the place you probably consider your personal and private fortress, your home. Hospitality, as you'll see here, is one of the simplest and most exciting ways to engage in God's mission. This is easy stuff. This is fun stuff in kingdom ministry. So what if you view, viewed your home as a weapon in the hands of God, a tool, a resource for him to expand his kingdom through your home? That would be fun. Of course, it'll mean loving people. Which, by the way, reminds me of this story I heard of a Scottish minister who recounted to his congregation a dream he had. He dreamed he died, and then he found himself... Uh, standing at the pearly gates, you know it's a dream because it's not theologically accurate, but you know the, the proverbial pearly gates, and there's St. Peter. And St. Peter sa said, hey, I need to know your religious resume. And so the, the Scottish minister started to talk about all the sermons he preached and all the important pulpits that he'd filled. And Peter said, those were not heard here. And so he started to talk about all his community service, and Peter said, that's not recorded here. And so disheartened, the Scotsman turned and with discouragement started to walk away. And Peter said, hold a minute, stay a minute. Are you the one that fed the sparrows? The Scotsman was like, sparrows, little birds, what does that have to do with it? And Peter said, come in. The master of the sparrows would like to see you. Did you get that? Did you feel that? The master of the sparrows, he loves those sparrows, he made those sparrows, he cares about them, you fed them, please come in. And if sparrows, for crying out loud, how much more so image bearers, people. Could we love them in such a way that we are loving Jesus? Because hospitality, because to love Jesus is to love people. I want to pray towards that end. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come before you right now as a people assembled and only here because of your hospitality. And it was crazy and it was ridiculous because, Lord God, I gave you no reason to welcome me in.
I was your enemy, an outsider, and yet by grace you loved me, you sacrificed for me, you treated me well, you made me a son, and you made many here sons and daughters. We love your hospitality. And now, Lord God, we want to ask that you would break us out of the gravity of self-love where we just are sucked into idolatry of self and that we would blast off out of that into this world that we would love people because to love Jesus is to love people. And we would, through everywhere, every day, in every way, we would be looking for opportunities to love the outsider. Would you make us those kind of people, I pray in Christ's name.